Welcome to the Horsewise Podcast with Lynn Reardon, where we share stories of horses and people and what they teach each other. On this episode, I'll talk about how an elderly gelding, a young colt, a noisy trailer, and a 60-day guarantee were nearly a recipe for disaster. I hope you enjoy the show and have a wonderful day. On today's episode, I would like to talk about the importance of awareness and the consequences of not being aware. And in my usual fashion, the way I'm going to discuss this is by telling you a couple of entertaining stories of when I did not particularly have good awareness and the interesting situations that then developed after that. So the first example was a couple years after we started LOPE, the resource adoption program that I run now. We had a, a little farm out in Bastrop County. It was 26 acres, just a big pasture kind of facility. We'd only been open a little while. And the word was already kind of out on the street, so to speak, among the racing community that we were taking in horses, horses were being donated to us, that weren't doing well at the track anymore, who needed new homes. Some of them might have injuries, some of them might just simply be too slow. And what we thought was going to be a really kind of slow, not very active organization, very quickly became very, very active. So we had uh, many horses coming to us. I think the first year we had 40, which is pretty hilarious because I'd had no uh, experience managing a farm, as I said, running a farm, certainly not running a resource adoption farm. These were all details that at the time didn't seem important, although they did become more significant later on. So one of the early supporters of our organization was a prominent race breeder in Texas. And for the sake of this podcast, we're going to say her name is Sally. And Sally had just a top-notch operation. She had a beautiful ranch that was kind of in the south, sort of hill country area of Texas. And very nice horses were produced through her program. She'd been a pretty much a lifetime breeder. She worked with very good trainers at the track, and then she also had a staff at the ranch who would start the young horses under saddle, meaning break them to the saddle for the first time, condition them, and then get them ready to run at the track. So it was, a, it was quite an operation, and I was very impressed by it. You know, from my perspective as someone with very little experience, it seemed like, wow, this was a class operation, and it was. It truly was. One day, Sally called me, and she said, Lynn, I have this this young three-year-old gelding, he's sweet, but there's just no way we're going to even take him to the track. Uh, one of my guys put 60 days on him. He's quiet. He's good to go, but he will not have what it takes in terms of competitive fire to run. So we're wondering if you would take him in and maybe find him a nice home as a, as a pleasure riding horse or a trail horse. And I said, sure. It sounded like a, just a great little horse. Sounded like he would be super easy. And I felt that also how great would it be to get a horse that already had a really good start, a good start 60 days being trained by people who worked for Sally, who were obviously very experienced. So about a week later, the horse arrived. His name was Star, and he was just so cute. He was a smaller horse, maybe about 15 hands tall, really dark brown with a star, of course, because that was his name. It was his barn name. And uh, just just really like a kind of the, the expression like a baby calf, just big, soft eyes, brown, very gentle. And I was like, wow, what, a, what an adorable horse. I'm going to have no problem adopting this guy out. So after he'd been at our place a few days, I decided to go ahead and put him in the round pen and you know, kind of see how he was under saddle. 
and again, most of the time we would have been getting horses that were straight from the track. They might be a little bit more spirited, kind of up still from their athletic sort of training phase. So I was pretty excited that I was going to be working with a young horse that was quiet, that had never run, that I could kind of count on to have a good foundation. So I kind of moved him around the round pen and he seemed like he was a little slow. And I thought, oh, that's great. He's slow. Look at that. That's amazing. I can't wait to get on him. And I very kind of nonchalantly grabbed my English saddle and I cinched him up and and kind of led him around. And he, he wasn't, again, doing anything too exciting. He was a little slow maybe. Um, and I was like, wow, this is going to be a snap. And then I bridled him and I led him into the, into the middle of the round pen and I just mounted him. I didn't particularly check him out. I didn't move his feet around much. I was like, oh, he's, he's not, he's not rapidly running around. He's not snorting. He's not doing anything to indicate that he's going to be difficult. And again, I'd had that great, great guarantee of 60 days under saddle from an operation I respected. So I put my foot in the stirrup and I swing my leg over. And as I'm settling down into the, into the saddle itself, I realize at that very moment that Star, in fact, is not quiet and calm. Star is absolutely terrified. He is petrified in place. And I had this sinking realization that it was quite possible that he had never, ever been mounted or ridden before. That was how stock still kind of frozen he was. And the really the worst time to be realizing this is when you're actually in the air, leg coming over the saddle about to place your butt into the saddle. And as I very gently tried to settle myself with as little thumping or weight as possible into the saddle, I just had this moment of fear myself because horses that are scared to the point of not moving at all, those are horses that can suddenly explode, not because they're bad horses or because they're rogue horses or anything like that. But sometimes when that fear comes up and there's no place for it to go right away, they just simply lose control. So there I was, I finally had settled into the saddle and Star was just as I said, rigid, his neck was just like an iron. And neither one of us was breathing very much at that point. And I just exhaled and I tried to think what I could do to help the situation. To quickly dismount seemed like a bad idea. It seemed as though to me that any sudden movement or jerking or hopping out of the saddle might really set him off. He really had no idea what to do and he was really scared. And, and for once he was much more scared than I was. I was of course, extremely alert and somewhat, somewhat, somewhat scared, but not to the extent that he was, I could still move. For example, I did manage to start breathing before he did, which was also good in terms of a leadership move on my part. And I just had this sort of sense of one of us had to be able to think. And it looked like by default, I was going to have to take that role. So I leaned down and I just gently started to pet his neck, not clapping my hand on his neck, just this very gentle, almost like a rub on his neck. And, uh, I just petted him really slowly. 
And I was very careful not to move my leg or anything like that. I just tried to stay very, like nothing is happening. We're, we're just hanging out here together. And, uh, and, and he started to respond to that. He just, he dropped his head just a little teeny bit. His muscles were still rigid, but he did start to breathe a little bit. Not a lot, not, a, not, not to the point where he could, let's say, sprint or anything, but he, he was starting to breathe a little. And then I took my other hand and I started to do the same thing, but this time on his rump, just very slow. So I'm rubbing him a little bit, petting him a little bit on his neck with one hand and then on his rump with the other. I had no idea where this instinct to do this came from because goodness knows I was not in any way an experienced colt starter, horse trainer, anything like that. But it just seemed like if I could pet him a little bit, maybe that would help and to reassure both of us. And over maybe the next few minutes, I started to pet him a little bit more, like kind of increase the movement of my hands. And then I switched hands. So the hand that had been rubbing him on his rump, I switched that hand to his neck and vice versa. And at some point I felt him exhale. And I petted him some more. I talked to him, you know, all the things that nice ladies do when we don't know what else to do. I told him how amazing he was. I used, you know, good boy. I probably said that approximately 15,000 times. And we both started to breathe maybe a little bit more regularly, a little bit more in unison. And then I realized that he was at this stage, maybe needing to move his feet a little bit. So... I wasn't sure if he really knew what clucking meant or what the leg, if I were to to kick him, that would probably be way too much for him. So I just sort of wiggled a little bit in the saddle, just a little teeny bit. And I tried to keep the reins a little loose and I made just like a little teeny smooching sound. And he kind of looked over his shoulder at me and he took like one step really tentatively. And I reached down and I petted him and I told him again, another 20,000 times how good he was. And he exhaled again. And then he took another step. By the time we got to about five, six steps, both of us felt like we had essentially done the Olympics. At that point, we were both pretty, we were pleased with ourselves, but we were also pretty exhausted mentally. And at that point, he shook his head and really relaxed. He started to yawn. And at that point, I felt that it was safe to dismount. And I very slowly swung my leg over, making sure that both my feet were out of the stirrups. And I slid down next to him. And that was a very lucky situation for me because in most circumstances, if you were to do that, that horse would have had every right to just sort of buck me off and potentially hurt me because I was totally unprepared, but he was a very sweet horse. And so it worked out, but it never, uh, left me how foolish I had been that day. I don't think that Sally meant to intentionally deceive me. I'm sure she thought that that colt had had 60 days, that Star had indeed had those 60 days, but somewhere along the way, whoever had been in charge of putting those 60 days on on star clearly it had a little bit of a casual approach or maybe there was just a misunderstanding but he never did 
receive that amount of training. It was very evident from what I experienced that day. So it was an excellent reminder of always kind of verify information, particularly when it comes to how much training a young horse has had before you get on them. No matter how well trained the horse, it's always a good idea to do sort of a pre-flight check. And that was sort of my mistake at the time, as well as just sort of turning off my observation signals. I didn't even do the most basic kind of look at the horse or really get an assessment. It totally missed me that he was scared. He was scared into stillness rather than truly calm. So that's the first story. The second story is even more, in my opinion, dangerous, um, even though on the surface it didn't sound like it would be at all. So about a year or so later, after the star incident, I got a call from, from an older gentleman. He was retiring from breeding, and he'd had some health issues. They'd been quite serious, in fact. He'd had a heart condition. He'd been in the hospital. And he was a quarter horse race person. So he had racing quarter horses, which are, if you're, if you're not familiar with that, they are technically quarter horses. They're bred through the AQHA, but they do have some thoroughbred in their bloodlines as well. So they tend to be very fast sprinter type horses, great horses. And so this gentleman, we'll say his name was Pete. Pete contacted me and told me that he had one last horse and that horse's name was Bob. And Bob had been one of his biggest money winners. And he retired Bob and, and hoped to give him a lifetime retirement. But because Pete had had these health issues, he now had to find Bob a home too. And Bob was 18 years old. And I was like, oh, 18 years old, gentle horse. And Pete told me, yes, that Bob was indeed a very gentle horse, that he had been retired for many years. And that even though he'd been his best racehorse, that Bob wasn't really interested in doing much more than walking around at this stage in his life. So we set up a day and time for Pete to bring Bob to us, and I was honored to help him. I felt that it was truly just a tough situation that Pete had found himself in, in terms of his health, and he obviously really cared a lot about Bob, and, and it did feel like an honor that he had chosen our organization to find Bob a home. So Pete pulled up in this big stock trailer, driving a truck, and of course, not driving the trailer. And uh, his wife was with him in the passenger seat. And Pete got out of the truck. And I realized that Pete was very, very frail. Uh, he, was, he was moving very slowly. Uh, he was out of breath. And, uh, and he told me, he was like, you know, I, I'm not feeling too well today, but I, I wanted to bring Bob to you personally. And his wife pretty much stayed in the vehicle. She wasn't a horse person. And he slowly made his way to the back of the trailer and started to open the gate. And I looked into the trailer and it was, uh, it was like I said, a nice big stock trailer. And Bob was a chestnut horse. He was kind of leaning there against, against the, the trailer walls. And uh, I didn't notice anything particularly concerning. Um, and Pete told me, he was like, miss, he was like, uh, I, I can open this gate. But he said, would you mind going in there and getting Bob out for me? I'm just not sure I can manage stepping up into the trailer. And I was like, of course. And as I turned the corner and started to step into the trailer, I was like, is Bob ever nervous in the trailer? And he's like, oh no, Bob's always quiet in the trailer. <laughs> so I step up to the trailer and Bob is very still. You think I would have noticed by then that after the star experience that that kind of stock stillness is probably not a good sign, but no, I totally missed it. And I walk into the trailer and Bob is tied to the, to the trailer. 
and uh, and I go to get the lead rope, and I realized that the knot is almost completely sheared. Bob had been pulling back on it almost this entire time, not not making any noise, just really leaning his body weight against it. And I looked at Bob because I was very close to his head at that point, and I saw sheer panic in his eyes. And just at that moment, Bob started to truly panic. He began to thrash in the trailer. This was a stock trailer that was an older stock trailer, and it started to really move around quite a bit, a lot of noise. And it really felt like Bob was having a seizure right there, inches away from me. And there was Pete in the back who barely could keep the gate open, let alone help me. And, uh, and I just had another one of those moments where I felt that this was extremely dangerous. And I wasn't sure how I was going to be able to get out of the trailer. Bob was swinging now his body back and forth. So it didn't seem like the safest thing to just sort of shimmy out the way that I'd come in. And uh, I heard Pete say over the din of Bob freaking out, he said, Bob, quit being an idiot in there. And the way that he said it, I could tell that this probably wasn't the first time that Bob had had this kind of special moment. So I stood there and I was pretty frozen myself with the start of panic. I looked over at Bob's eye again and basically Bob was no longer home. Like there was not much going on there. I could tell that he was really at that stage kind of far beyond being able to connect with me or to participate in this process of getting him safely out of the trailer. So the knot was sheared. I couldn't undo it. And I decided that I was going to unclip the lead rope from the halter. I thought that was the only way that I could ensure at least that he could get out of the trailer. So I, over my shoulder, I called out to Pete, who was still kind of quietly saying, hey, stop it, Bob. I'm like, hey, Pete, um, can you do me a favor? I want you to just open that gate and stay out of the way. I'm going to undo the halter. And I said, he might kind of run out really fast. In fact, that's probably a guarantee based on what's happening right here. And then I had to stop talking because Bob started to strike with his front feet. He was, he was basically slamming his front feet into the, into the floor of the trailer, up and down, up and down rapidly. And uh, I was, I was too, a little too worried about my own feet to keep talking. But Pete, Pete did that. He, he opened the trailer door for me. And he stood on the other side of it so that he had some protection. And then I reached over when Bob stopped, stopped with his front feet slamming, and I unclipped the halter. And he just flew backwards, flew backwards, flew backwards out of the trailer, kind of hit, hit the driveway running, so to speak. But fortunately, at that stage, the fact that Bob was 18, and that probably was the fastest he'd been moving in, in quite a while, or at least the last time since he'd been in the trailer, he stopped really quickly. And it was spring, and we had a lot of really good coastal grass, and he started to graze. And Pete said, I'll, I'll go catch him for you. And I'm like, no, 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 you just stay there. And I kind of shakily walked out of the trailer, and I got Bob by the halter, and led him into the round pen. Now, both of these stories have the same thing in common, which is that two really nice people, good people, told me the wrong thing, most likely by accident or out of their own lack of awareness themselves. 
And I had the greater failure in that I just didn't do basic verification. I could have really taken a good look at Bob before I went into that trailer. If I had really paused to take a good look, I would have seen that he was panicked and rigid, but I didn't. I walked all the way into that trailer, got right next to him, didn't have an escape door, and he was, there he was, he was in that state. In both of those situations, I could have been very seriously hurt. And I do feel that it's a, sort of a testament to the inherent good nature of horses that I wasn't, and also that I was simply lucky. And I don't think that luck is a really good way to work with horses. I think you always want to help set them up for success as much as you can. And so I would just urge everybody to remember these two stories. If you are about to get on a young horse that you haven't worked with before, that someone has told you is really broke, or if you're about to walk into a trailer to help someone unload a horse that you don't know, every now and then these kind of situations can come up and all it takes is a few minutes of checking things out, kind of verifying for yourself that all is well. I hope you've enjoyed this uh, saga of my entertaining learning experiences, and I hope you don't have to learn things the way that I had to. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful day.